Welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. First thing, a correction from last week's podcast in which I mistakenly attributed the song Day by Day to the rock opera Jesus Christ Superstar. I did once know this, but apparently forgot that it was from the show Godspell. I think the words still are perfect, especially during these last days of Lent. Day by day, day by day, O sweet Lord, three things I pray, to see thee more clearly, love you more dearly, follow you more nearly, day by day. Hmm, that's kind of nice, huh? Well, here we are, just about into Holy Week, commemorating the most momentous event in human history, the act of a God, of the God who loves unreservedly, God who became man, walked among his creatures, and completed the mission to die for us in a most horrible, humiliating way so that the relationship we severed with the Trinity could be restored. And then he resurrected, promising us the same, if only this time, this time, each of us said yes to him and gave thanks in how we lived our lives for the magnificent, magnanimous act of God. He left us holy tools, the sacraments, knowing, since he had been one of us, except in sin, how hard this life is, how much are the temptations by the fallen angel Lucifer and his minions, for Jesus himself was tempted. He left us his body and his blood in the sacrifice of the Mass, and he left us a place of self-examination and healing in the sacrament of confession, the sacrament of reconciliation. I hear a voice in my head. It's the voice of the modern world, at least that small portion that still believes there might be a God, and it is the voice of some comfortable faiths. It says, well, God loves me unconditionally, so he knows I'm not perfect. He's okay with that. I believe in him. That's enough. His unconditional love imposes no obligation on me, so I can decide what's right and what's wrong based upon my idea of it, and I don't need a reconciliation. He made me free to be the me I decide to be. I have to say that as a Catholic, I have a hard time sometimes articulating to myself, in fact. I'm having a hard time right now. How do I reconcile that God can love me unconditionally and that my church says that if I sin grievously, and I know that it's a sin, according to the teachings of my faith, and I do it with complete consent, that I will go to hell. Yes, I bet you didn't know. That's still true of the Catholic faith. We may not hear much about it anymore, but if you are a Catholic, there is still something called mortal sin. It kills your soul. And the teaching is, as I understand it, that it separates me and you from the God who loves us. The word unconditional. Some synonyms. You know I love synonyms. Categorical. Absolute. Unreserved. So that means, no, whatever we do in this life, he, God, couldn't let us go to hell. Actually, when I think about it, the very unreserved nature of God's love allows us the very freedom to choose hell. He sends us nowhere. Well, this is hard to, to, to accept and to see because we want magic. 
We want to put our hand in the cookie jar and be congratulated for it. When we sin, it's kind of like the child doing just that, putting his hand in the cookie jar. Mom and Dad standing right in front of him, saying, it's dinner time, and no, you can't have that cookie. And the kid says, you love me unconditionally, right? So you aren't the boss of me. But is there not a potential consequence without reference to the parent's unconditional love? The act of disobedience means that the child eats bad food over good, perhaps eats too many cookies and thus can't eat a healthy meal, maybe even gets sick over time. Has the parent's love changed? Actually, a parent of unconditional love wants to spare the child the pain that he or she is causing to herself in an act of free rebellion. I think I might have a personal example. I'm a baby boomer who has never used any form of illicit drugs, not even a toke. I know you don't believe it, but it is true. Now, either way, it's unusual, though I know there are others like me. I remember talking to a family friend years ago who was using drugs, and when I told him that it was dangerous and destructive, the response was, what do you know? You've never done it. Well, I guess I could have given some cliche answer like, well, I have never put my hand in a fire, but I know it's dangerous and you could lose your hand. But I didn't. I could have all the unconditional love in my heart for that kid, but he was going to hurt himself regardless of my love. Free will gave him that choice. Any addiction that follows, if it did follow, and I can't say that it did, is his doing, not mine, and bears no relationship to my unconditional love, but to his rejection of it. I can love you without agenda. Well, one agenda. You're good, and you can still destroy yourself. Similarly, my going to hell, assuming you believe in it as so many, even Catholics, do not, has to do with my conditional love, not God's unconditional love. When I sin, I break the relationship, just as Eve broke it with her action. And who does it hurt primarily? The one who breaks it. God is still there. He's staying there, awaiting some sense from us of concern, care. When he ascended into heaven, he left us something. First, he already had restored our communal relationship with him, with his death and resurrection. Then he leaves behind an instrument, confession, so that each of us, sinning individually, because we still are oppressed by the effects of the original sin, to come back to him in love, to his love that has never wavered. Only we waver. Let me go back to that kid who has his hand in the cookie jar, defying his parents. Those parents try to teach him that it isn't their lack of love, but his lack, his insistence on doing things that harm not them, but mostly himself. That's the problem. They present in as loving a way the objective truths to him. They live a life of those truths, but for some reason this son of theirs refuses anything other than what he thinks is good, and he mocks the very love that they offer to keep him happy and well and alive. Now he gets old enough, he moves out of the house and starts leading a dissolute life, you know, drugs, drink, indiscriminate sex. He engages in some fraud to keep himself going after another, one after another, and then one day he ends up in jail for over 20 years. His parents are there. They still love him unconditionally, but 
he has thrown himself into a place without love for whatever complicated psychological reasons. His parents didn't send him to jail. He sent himself. There are always consequences because there are always objective truths, whether we like it or not, that we either accept or we do not. Confession is really amazing if you think about it because that young man, to the extent he has sinned against God, along with sinning against society, let's say he was raised Catholic, though he cannot perhaps ever get out of jail, depending on his crime, he can always seek the confessional and can restore the relationship with God that was broken. Even at his lowest, while he lives, he can always acknowledge and confess, approach God's unconditional love, and be forgiven. But he has to stop using the excuse that his consequences are a failure of the love of God. They are the failure of his own love for himself and God and his parents and his society. He is the one who loved conditionally. He walked away from unconditional love. That's what we do when we sin. We say no to the unconditional love. So here we are, I said, about to be in Holy Week. Catholics are still required to confess mortal sins at least once a year. I don't know how many of us know that. Now, this is where it gets tricky. Have you or I committed any mortal sins? If and when you or I say, as we might in this world we live in, well, the Catholic Church says that this or that is a mortal sin, but that's anachronistic, is it? Here's the thing. If you are a Catholic, professing anyway, then you presumably are saying, both explicitly and implicitly, that you believe in all that the Catholic Church teaches because you also believe that it comes from Jesus Christ himself. It comes with the territory of saying, I am a Catholic. Now, you know, I always go in reference to the sources, and one of the big sources, of course, is the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And I just want to give you a little couple of paragraphs, 1849 through 1851, of how sin is defined according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Sin is an offense against reason, truth, and right conscience. It is a failure in genuine love for God and neighbor caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods. It wounds the nature of man and injures human solidarity. It has been defined as an utterance, a deed, or a desire contrary to the eternal law. Sin is an offense against God. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight. Sin sets itself against God's love for us and turns our hearts away from it. Like the first sin, it is disobedience, a revolt against God, through the will to become like God's, knowing and determining good and evil. Sin is thus love of oneself, even to the contempt of God. In this proud self-exaltation, sin is diametrically opposed to the obedience of Jesus, which achieves our salvation. It is precisely in the Passion, when the mercy of Christ is about to vanquish it, that sin most clearly manifests its violence and its many forms, unbelief, murderous hatred, shunning and mockery by the leaders and the people, Pilate's cowardice and the cruelty of the soldiers, Judas's betrayal, so bitter to Jesus, Peter's denial and the disciples' flight. However, at the very hour of darkness, the hour of the prince of this world, the sacrifice of Christ secretly becomes the source 
from which the forgiveness of our sins will pour forth inexhaustibly. Well, talk about unconditional. He knows, even on the cross, that many of us will reject this act of unconditional love. He gives us time up until our very death to say, I sinned. You love me in a way that I have failed to love you. Some might say, but there's no God, so this is all gobbledygook. And you know that how? Because of man's ability to have a good sense of science? Whoa, that's scary stuff because we know so little about our very world in all of our technological skill. The thing is that God exists or he does not exist. It is either objectively true or it is not. Our belief is in some ways irrelevant to that objective truth. And I guess the only point of relevance is whether or not we die and that's that, or we die and we are judged for the actions of this life. And at that point, I didn't know, just won't cut it. There's this little booklet, which I've known about, but it was actually recommended for the retreat I'm still on. And I used it to prepare myself for a recent confession. It's by a father, Robert Altier, and is called An Examination of Conscience. There are others, but this is the one I was given to use, and I found it very helpful. And I got to tell you, as I went through it, I see how much in my life, even while trying to practice my faith, I have resisted, just like everybody else, some of the things that are still, let's say, on the books as mortal sin. But here's the thing, what I don't get is why folks who don't like the Catholic definitions of what is and is not mortal sin, which to Catholics is supposed to be a recognition and acceptance of what God considers offenses against him, insist then on trying to change the church rather than to find the abundance of other faiths and groups which agree with them. Have the courage of your convictions. I don't want you to leave. But if you stay, that decision comes with certain responsibilities that you have chosen by being a member. Truths in which you say, I believe. If you go to the Easter Vigil, there will be a portion of the liturgy in which you will be asked to renew your baptismal vows, which were done in your place instead by your godparents. You were there, but you didn't speak, obviously. So now, every Easter, we get a chance to speak our yes for ourselves. Do you reject Satan? I do renounce him. And all his works, I do renounce them. And all his empty promises, I do renounce them. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? I do believe. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, was crucified, died and was buried, rose from the dead, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. I do believe. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting? I do believe. It's a little hard to reject Satan and then say there are no mortal sins, including some of the ones I'm going to mention. The truth be told, lots of Catholics tell themselves aren't sins. And when you say... I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, presumably you're not saying, I believe in it only insofar as it allows me to do the things that I want to do, 
whether they're good for me, whether they imperil my soul or not. I mean, when you think about it, we insist on God's unconditional love while we put conditions on God. That's pretty amazing for a creature to do if you actually do believe in a supernatural power that made you. So what you do, what I did, what we should do for every confession is to go through each of the Ten Commandments and this little book or a book like it asks some questions after each commandment. Now, again, remember that the key to whether a sin is mortal or venial is that three-pronged thing I mentioned earlier. Is it a serious matter? Did I know it was seriously wrong before I did it? And did I consent to do it with my will? Now, for some of us, there can be a little problem called OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. In the secular world, that's what they call it. In the religious world, they call it scrupulosity. I think of that issue in the area of whether I was able or you were able to give full consent. But it isn't always that complicated, despite our efforts at rationalization. The area in which modern times we really find the source of argument is the sixth commandment you shall not commit adultery and the fifth commandment thou shalt not kill here we find the societal bugaboos that have seeped into the catholic church abortion of course knowingly procuring one paying for one here's the one that gets everybody's hackles up voting for someone who is pro-abortion i know i do i hear all the reasons what about rape? What about incest? The sin of rape, of course, that's mortal. So is incest. The sin is with the perpetrator, not the victim, and not with the child that is conceived because of it. What we are saying now is that because of the perpetrator and because of the evil done to the woman, the child must die. Because of the suffering imposed by an evil person, the child must be sacrificed. We now know that this child is a life, if you follow the science that we are exhorted to follow when it's convenient. But here's the other thing. Rape and incest, they aren't the usual reasons for abortion, nor, quite frankly, is physical danger to the mother. So here's a sin we can all rationalize and has been well rationalized by an entire society as well as individual Catholics. It is enshrined in our society. We stand in front of God like the kid standing before his parents with his hand in the cookie jar, and we defy his objective truth. Calling the baby a fetus doesn't change the reality. Any woman can commit the sin. Each of us can commit the sin. You may say, well, many will. Well, I'm all wet. You're all wet. Then that this is not a sin. Okay? I'm only conveying the message. I am a practicing Catholic whose church says that abortion is a mortal sin and that advocating for it is a mortal sin. I know that the church says this is a serious matter. I have full knowledge of this fact and I vote for a pro-abortion candidate. Fully consenting to that vote and while I'm fully consenting saying that the Catholic Church is all wet. Not perhaps expressively, but that's what you're implicitly saying by going ahead. Now, if, as the Catholic Church says, you have fulfilled the three prongs of mortal sin and you don't confess it as a mortal sin and you or I go to hell, because remember, I'm not suggesting that I don't have my own capacities for mortal sin. I sure do. But let's say I go to hell. Now, 
Am I going to say that God sent me under these circumstances? Was it a failure of his love or was it a failure of mine? If you're a single man or woman, sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is still considered a mortal sin, assuming the three prongs are satisfied. There is no fourth prong of conditions for mortal sin, like, I don't agree with the church, and that when I don't agree with the church, there is no mortal sin. Lord, your sayings are hard. I always hear people talking about the church needs to evolve. Well, evolve in what? Unchanging truths? That you and I want to be changed because it suits our personal needs. It accommodates our psychological peccadilloes. It's still a mortal sin to knowingly miss Mass on a Sunday without a serious reason if you are a Catholic. God doesn't mind isn't a good answer. What's a serious reason? Well, come on. You and I know what serious is. I was up drinking late last night isn't a serious one. Well, it is serious because arguably something else followed that was a compounding sin. There was a time in my life that I could not abide by some of the teachings of the Church. And instead of confessing, I left for a long while. But talk about hubris when any of us says, well, the Catholic Church has got to change. If I'm a member, I am purportedly accepting the truth of the teachings. If I think the Church has to change, as I said earlier, there are lots of Christian denominations and other faiths that have already concluded that you are right. Quite frankly to me, if the Catholic Church changes, it will be to me the death knell of objective truth because it will say that there really is no truth, that in fact the truth is malleable in a denomination, in a church, becomes irrelevant. Man is the center of all things in which nobody has to abide by anything unless someone has power to do harm to your life, physical, psychological, or spiritual. And alas, we are coming to that. I've become less worried about God sending me to hell than about my sending myself there. And I don't know about you, I don't want to go there. And I really like the idea of friendship with the Almighty. And I really like the idea of paradise. The wonder of being washed in that unconditional love for eternity is palpably nice. So, something I never was, I am now a zealous advocate of confession. So Sunday is Palm Sunday, and that was the day that the people were acclaiming Jesus. Within a few days, they were nailing him to a cross. Oh, let me revise that. You and I were nailing him to the cross because our sins and the sins of the world put him there. If you haven't been to confession this year, go. There are plenty of churches having confession on a regular basis right now. In fact, I think confession is increasing in many churches. It's a good time to think about why I'm a Catholic. I'm a Catholic because I believe that the Catholic Church has the fullness of the truth. I wish you a good, profitable, holy week. Looking forward to the day of the resurrection of the Lord, which points to our resurrection if we obey and love him. Well, so ends another ordinary old Catholic me, and I wish you a very, very, very happy Easter. Talk to you next week.